So, any of you guys know people who are really into like these stories that are part of like these long sagas? Like maybe I'm talking about like Lord of the Rings fans or like Star Wars fans. Maybe they're really into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And they're going to tell you, you know, that cartoon spinoff you watched as a kid, oh, that wasn't canon because it wasn't in the comic books. Maybe you're one of these people. That's all right. That's all right. Maybe you're one of them. If you're one of them, then you know that every time new material comes out, new films come out, new video games, new books, when you see them, it makes you think about the background, right? Like you know what happened before. You know the origin stories of all the villains. You know what happened, the relationships, the story arc. You have context beyond context. I remember the first time I read through the entire Bible, the entire Bible, every book, every word. I remember I read it in chronological order, which is the best way. I highly recommend if you just want to get through it, go through it in chronological order. I remember that by the time I got to Matthew, by the time I got to the New Testament, all of a sudden it was like all the passages I had read before it went from black and white to full color. Like all of a sudden, I understood all the references. Like I got it, I knew what they were talking about. And today's passage in Luke, which we're gonna look at, there's going to be so many references and nuances to the history that's in the Old Testament. Today, we're gonna look at this passage and we're gonna talk about what was, what is, and what is to come. Why don't you guys pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are present with us this morning, Lord. We thank you that you give us the honor to be able to glorify you together in community. And Lord, we thank you for technology and the honor for those who are watching at home who cannot come to meet in person. Lord, we thank you that you've given them an opportunity to hear your word. Father, we thank you that your spirit is with us and we ask that you would help us to hear you this morning. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're in Luke chapter 9, verse 28 today. You could grab your service sheets, grab your Bibles. Luke chapter 9, 28. I'll be reading from the ESV. Now about eight days after these sayings, he, that's Jesus, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one, 
Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. This is a wild scene. This is a wild scene. See, up until this point, the disciples had seen Jesus do some miraculous things, right? And you remember a few weeks ago, the disciples themselves received authority to do some miraculous things. And last week's passage, Peter finally declared he acknowledged Jesus as the Christ, or the Messiah, the Christ. Christ is just the Greek translation of the word Messiah. Peter acknowledged that Jesus was this Messiah that was to come and redeem Israel, the one who had been prophesied about. Now Jesus' three closest followers, Peter, James, and John, they're getting a chance to really witness who it is they've been following. You know, think of this as like you get invited to a meeting by your boss. Let's say you're in marketing. Your boss says, hey, we got to have a meeting. You think it's business as usual. You think, okay, we got another campaign. Let's find out what we're going to do. And then you get to the meeting, and then Kevin from sales is there. Like, what's Kevin doing there? Then you see Jackie, the project manager. She's there too. Then you see Dwayne, the VP. He never comes out of his office. What is he doing here? You realize that, hey, there's been something going on. There's been something happening since way before you joined this company. I imagine the disciples felt similarly. Peter, James, and John were Jesus' appointed apostles. They were one of the 12. They had heard their teacher not even a week ago. So Luke says about eight days. The other gospel writers had six days. So not even a week ago, they heard Jesus tell them that he was planning on going to Jerusalem to suffer and be killed. Jesus was teaching them that in order to save their lives, they had to lose them. I imagine they were still processing these words, like, Jesus, you're going to go die? You're going to die? What's going to happen to us? What does that mean? Are you really the Messiah? What's going to become of us? Yet, in today's passage, at this moment, any doubts they might have had hearing Jesus' news, any worries, any fears they might have had, were going to be confronted supernaturally. So in this passage, Jesus takes the three up to the mountain to pray. And it says that all of a sudden, while Jesus was in prayer, while he was praying, his face was changed. In the Greek, in Luke, it says that his face was like another. It was like, not Jesus anymore. Matthew said that his face was shining like the sun. So can you imagine Jesus is praying, and all of a sudden, he's like glowing. He's beaming. This is Jesus in his glorified state. And it says not just his face, his clothing too. It was dazzling white. Mark said it was so radiant. It's like blinding white. It's like he hasn't seen the sun all winter. He is, ble- he is gleaming. I was going to say gleaming. <laughs> he is gleaming white. And not only that, Jesus wasn't alone. The text says that Moses and Elijah had appeared. Moses who led God's people out of slavery from Egypt over 1,300 years ago. And Elijah, 
the great prophet who stood up against one of Israel's worst kings. That happened over 800 years ago. Both of them had appeared talking with Jesus. Now at this point, if you're reading this text after having... After having read the history of Moses and Elijah in the book of Exodus and 1st and 2nd Kings, if you read this for the first time, your eyes are probably popping out of their sockets. Because these two men have not been around in a minute. These two men have not been around. It's, it's, it's like at the end of a superhero movie. You know, you're following the story and all of a sudden all these other heroes come from like other movies and they show up at the end like your mind is blown. Moses and Elijah are here. And Luke is the only writer who gives us the subject of their discussion. Luke says that the three men, well, Moses and Elijah were talking with Jesus about Jesus' departure. Departure, if you take it specifically, is just a euphemism for death. You know how we say, like, you know, someone has passed away. So we're t they're talking about Jesus' departure. So in a specific sense, it's about his death that was coming. In a broader sense, it could include everything that was leading up to that death, including his ascension after his resurrection, his ascension into heaven and his departure from earth. His departure from earth. The disciples just got wind of Jesus's intention. And if you remember, Peter didn't like that very much. And now it's being confirmed from apparently two of the greatest prophets in Israel's history. Let's let that sink in. Jesus just told them, hey, I'm going to go die. And Peter's like, no, don't say that. And now Moses and Elijah are like, yeah, no, he's going to go. He's going to go. But why these two men? Let's unpack this, right? Like, why is Moses here? Why isn't it Abraham? How come David didn't come back from heaven if you recall Moses' ministry, Moses was not only the one who led God's people out of Egypt, he was also the one to whom God spoke with directly to give the law. This was the law that the Israelites were to follow as they formed their new nation. This is everyone's favorite books, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. This is the law that Moses was the one who received from God. Moses' name is mentioned over and over again in the New Testament, over and over again. And you know why? It's always, almost always associated with the law. It's always associated with the law. Even Jesus himself, when he's teaching people, he says, well, what did Moses command you? The New Testament scriptures talks about it as the book of Moses. The law of Moses, what does the law of Moses say? See, Moses was seen as the authority. He was seen as the figurehead of the rules that God had established for his people to manage and recognize their sin. Moses is here to represent what was. Moses is here to show us what was, what was was that on another mountain long ago, God had descended to meet his people to give them this law. This is that scene, you know, like you got Moses with the long beard getting the Ten Commandments. At that moment, Exodus, the book of Exodus says that there was thunder and lightning 
It said that the mountain itself was trembling. Moses had warned the people to purify themselves, to not touch the mountain because they're going to die. The mountain was covered with a cloud and thick smoke because it said that the Lord descended upon it in a fire, in a fire. There was a trumpet sound that blasted louder and louder as God came down and God told Moses to warn the people, don't look because you're going to die. It was a frightening scene when, Moses, when God came down. What was, was a conditional covenant. It was a conditional agreement between God and his people, where if his people obeyed, God would send blessings. But if they didn't obey, then curses would come. We see allusions to this event all over today's passage. When Moses had come down from the mountain after talking with God, his face was shining, just like Jesus' face is shining here. Again, God seemingly descends in the cloud here, just like he did in Mount Sinai. And he speaks from that cloud. Again, there's great fear. The disciples were terrified. Yet there's differences as well. Moses at the time had to put a veil over his face because the people were so afraid of him. But Jesus does nothing of the sort. The mountain here is not trembling. There's no fire. There's no deafening trumpet blast. Jesus is not warning Peter, James, and John, hey, don't look, don't touch, because you're going to die. See, the experience that the disciples are having here is quite different than what was. The author of Hebrews assures the church that we have not come to a blazing fire and darkness and gloom. We are not at Mount Sinai in our relationship with God. We're with Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, a new agreement. We're not under a system of blessings and curses, rights and wrongs. Jesus isn't Santa Claus ticking off what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong. We're under a new covenant, a new agreement of grace. See, Peter, James, and John, they were safe with Jesus. Many of us live, we still live, as though there's an angry God who's ready to punish us the moment that we do wrong, that we could lose our salvation if we don't follow all of his commands. We beat ourselves up, we condemn ourselves when we sin. Instead of going to God and asking for forgiveness and mercy and for a new slate for another day, we fear him. We retreat. We're judging ourselves, so we think God is judging us. We think the church is judging us. We leave the church. We feel like we're not Christians anymore because we can't stop sinning. We say we're saved by grace, but we're fearing God as though we're under the law. But we're not under Moses' law. See, where Moses is at this meeting to represent what was, Jesus is present at this meeting to represent what is, to represent what is. Moses said that God will raise a prophet up just like me, 
Listen to him. The apostle said, Jesus is this prophet. Jesus is this prophet that came after Moses. The author of Hebrews again, he expounds that Jesus is actually greater than Moses because where Moses was faithful, he was faithful in the house of God, but he was only faithful as a servant. And Jesus is God's son. Jesus is God's son. Luke wrote that the men were talking about Jesus' departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. That word accomplish also means to fulfill. Jesus' departure, Jesus' death was about to fulfill all of the law. It was going to atone for all of the sins that people could not keep under what was. If Moses was the prequel, then Jesus is the main story. See, Jesus is the pinnacle of the project plan. Jesus is the apex. All of human history was about to be changed by the redemption of God's people that was about to take place in Jerusalem. This is what they were talking about. See, what is is that the Savior had come. We're in the next stage. What is is that the sins that people could not cleanse themselves from, the death that they were about to have because of their sin, what is, is that all that was going to be paid for. All that, that's what atonement means. All that that was done against God was about to be paid for. The account is going to be cleared. Jesus' death, which he was about to fulfill, Sorry, what is, is that the Savior had fulfilled uh, all the wrong that was done against God. What is, is a new agreement, whereby, as Paul wrote, those who confess with their mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe that he was raised from the dead, they will be saved. See, this is not a conditional covenant like the one at Mount Sinai. This is unconditional. This is irrevocable. To the Ephesians, Paul wrote, it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. It is by grace. It's not something we did. It's not because we earned it, because we followed the law. It is a gift from God. See, Jesus is this gift from God. What is, is Jesus, who is about to become the sacrificial lamb. The identity of Jesus is becoming more real to the disciples. I wonder if Paul felt foolish now. Paul was like, who was rebuking Jesus. You guys remember that? Paul rebuked Jesus for saying he was going to his death. I wonder if he felt foolish. And I wonder if we truly understand what was done at the cross and why it was necessary. I wonder if we understood, if we understand the situation that we were in before Jesus came. I wonder if we know the history not only of ourselves, but of the entire human race, of the community of God's people. See, Moses is present because of what was, and Jesus is at the meeting because he is what is. And Elijah is here. Remember Elijah? Elijah's story is recorded in First and Second Kings. He was a great prophet in the northern kingdom. Elijah was the one who was challenging the prophets of the false god Baal. And he was defending God's honor, defending God's name when all the prophets of God were being killed. Elijah is here because he represents what is to come. 
Elijah represents what is to come. Do you remember in last week's passage when Jesus was asking his disciples, he was like, who do the people say I am? And they're like, some people say John the Baptist, some people say Elijah. Why did people think Jesus was Elijah? Like, why didn't they say Isaiah? Maybe Jeremiah came back. But no, they didn't say those prophets. They said Elijah. They thought he was Elijah. Why did they think that? It's because... The last of the prophets in the Hebrew scriptures, in the book of Malachi, Malachi said to Israel that before the awesome day of the Lord, before the day of judgment, before the evildoers would be burned to ash, before those who are righteous will be freed like calves coming out of a stall, before the day of the Lord, Elijah was going to come. So the Jews were always looking for signs of their redemption. They're looking for Elijah. Elijah represents what is to come. If Elijah is here, that means the end is near. What is to come is a salvation for those who follow Christ. You know, it's interesting. Elijah's ministry back then, he had him challenging the people of Israel. He was calling out his own people because the people of Israel had started following other gods. They had abandoned the God of Abraham, the God of their ancestors. So Elijah's calling them out on this. He calls them out and he says, how long are you going to go between these two opinions? You know, if, if God is Lord, then follow him. If it's Baal, then follow him. He gives them this clear teaching that there's only two paths. You can't stay in the middle. And Jesus, when he expounds upon the day of the Lord, in the book of Matthew, Jesus says that when the Son of Man comes back, he's going to separate the people like a shepherd separating his sheep from the goats. And the sheep, his sheep are going to go on to receive eternal life and the goats are going to go to eternal punishment. There's only two paths. Do we understand what is to come? Do we know what's coming? Do we know we can't just live in the middle, live for Christ on Sundays and for the world the rest of the week? Do we know that ultimately there's going to be a separation? Ultimately, there's going to be a day where only the ones who stand with Christ will be saved. Are we just playing here? Are we just playing pretend like my kids play pretend? Is this make-believe or do we really believe the son of man that Jesus is going to come back? Elijah is a reminder to us of what is to come. So now that we understand the presence of these three, Moses, Jesus, Elijah, what was, what is, and what is to come, now that we know this, then how should we live? How should we live? If we come back to the narrative, it says that when this meeting occurred, when Jesus and Moses and Elijah were speaking, the disciples were asleep. They were supposed to be praying, but they were sleeping. Relatable, right? See, it's not just us, right? They were sleeping, and only after, did they, wait, after they woke up did they notice the two men there, and did they notice Jesus, who was in glory, in his glorious state. The prophets, when the prophets began to leave, 
Peter starts trying to delay them leaving. He was like, let me build you some tents. Let me build you some tents. It's good that we're here. I'll give you, make a tent for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And it says he didn't know what he was saying. So some scholars think that Peter was trying to celebrate the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. This is kind of a celebration that Jews do where they uh, kind of build a shelter outside of their house and they live in it for a week. You might see them if you live near Borough Park. Um, and they live there and they remember and they celebrate when God brought them out of slavery. And they look forward to their future redemption. So here's Peter saying, like, no, it's good. Let's, let's get the, these booths out. See, to Peter, he realizes, oh, my gosh, it's happening. It's happening. The things that Jesus had just told them, it's happening. Elijah's in front of him. Moses is here. Let us celebrate this. But then he gets interrupted. See, Peter, Peter likes to step in, you know. He's, he's in there before he's supposed to be. So he gets interrupted by a voice. There's a cloud that comes. And it envelops them. And it says they were scared. I imagine they were thinking back about Mount Sinai. They were scared. And a voice comes from God saying, this is my son. Listen to him. So now not only do we have the witness of these prophets, we have the witness of the voice of God declaring who Jesus is and also issuing a command. God's words are exactly what we need to take away from today's passage. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he said that the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. It's like someone breaking into your home, like you're not going to expect it. It's just going to happen. And Paul exhorts the church, he says, to not live as though we're in darkness. You know, we're not going to get robbed in the middle of the night. We know what is coming. We're not in darkness. We know what is coming. So we should be ready and not be sleeping. Why weren't the disciples ready in prayer? They were tired. They weren't paying attention. See, God instructs the disciples to listen to Jesus just as Moses told Israel. There's going to be a prophet who comes. Listen to him. Listen to him. We need to listen, not only just be aware of God's grand narrative of this big project plan of which we're a tiny part of, but we need to know where we fit in, where we fit in. See, the disciples are there too. We need to listen to Jesus. We need to be ready for the day of the Lord. But how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, first we listen through prayer and through study, through the word. We listen, we tune our ears to his spirit. We tune our minds to the word that has come through the scriptures. We got two Bible studies happening in Brooklyn now. I think we got two in Staten Island. We have about 6,000 WhatsApp groups to, to read the Bible together. <laughs> it's on the app. Get involved with one of them. I know not everyone can make it in person to study the word together, but you can do it on the train. It's, it's on WhatsApp. You can do it whenever you, whenever you can. The day of the Lord is coming. We have to listen. We have to know, hey, what's our role? Second, we need to obey what we're listening to. We need to obey when I was young and I had a smart mouth. I still do kind of, but... <laughs> Back then, when my parents would repeat something that they told me to do and I didn't do it, I would say back to them, like, I hear you. 
I hear you. We don't want to be saying that to God. We don't want to be saying that to God. When God says, listen to him, this is my son, he doesn't mean just listen, just hear. Can you imagine if we just sat in a circle for the rest of our lives and just talked about his words? That would be horrible. Can you imagine Justin would be on his 10,000th copy of that blue book? That copywriting break, copyright breaking blue book is 10,000th copy and we're still talking. We're still just hearing it. We've memorized the entire Bible at this point and we've done nothing for the kingdom of God. Wouldn't that be terrible? Third, we must place special emphasis on the Great Commission. Why? Because this is the last big command that Jesus gives his followers before he ascends to heaven, before his departure from earth. He says, make disciples of all nations. It means make disciples of all people groups. This is the last step. This is what I'm leaving you with. That means everywhere that there are people groups, everywhere, ethnic groups, cultural groups, socioeconomic groups, Star Wars fan, <laughs> go to the anime expo, <laughs> anywhere, the queer community, people in the projects, people on Wall Street, moms, children, Muslims, Hindus, let's go. Let's go. Where are we involved? David and Caitlin Gilbert, they run a ministry that reaches out to Arab youth in the neighborhood. All they do, they're teaching them, I don't know, core math. <laughs> and they're investing in that group. Get involved. Think about what people group you're in. Where are you discipling? How are you part of this project? Church, the day of the Lord is coming. And people have not yet heard. Church, we have to wake up. Christ is coming back, and there is a lot to do before then. We need to know where we came from so we know where we are going. We can't say that we follow Jesus but live as though we're following Baal. We can't be sleeping, guys. So let's get ready to listen. Let's get ready to obey Jesus. The day of the Lord is coming. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we have hope in you, Jesus. We thank you that you are coming back for us. And Lord, we thank you that this was not just an idea that came out of nowhere, Lord. Lord, we ask that you would help us not live in darkness, that we would understand what you have been doing since, since the beginning of time, Lord. Lord, we ask that we would be part, that you would show us how to be a part of your work. Guide us, open our eyes, Lord God, so that the words that we read when we study your word come alive. Lord, help us to be living Christians. Let the world see who you are by the way that we live. We thank you, Lord, that you are so good. You are so merciful. You are so gracious. You are so kind to us, Lord. Lord, we love you and we worship you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer, we have people on the side ready to pray with you.